if we start looking at the same cloud deployments and the way the developers do things, the reason why things are insecure when they're finished is because they are not clean enough, too complex, too many connections, too much attempted, not enough described and documented. That's not a security problem, but we are attempting to solve it with a security solution. Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience, listen to and talk with your buyers, and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? This episode is proudly sponsored by Checkpoint Software, a leading provider of cybersecurity solutions to over 100,000 corporate enterprises and governments globally. Checkpoint Infinity's portfolio of solutions protects enterprises and public organizations from fifth-generation cyber attacks with an industry-leading catch rate of malware, ransomware, and other threats. To learn more about Checkpoint and its Infinity portfolio, visit Checkpoint.com. All right, welcome to another episode of Audience First. Today is a very special episode. Why? Because I have two special people on the call. I have Dmitry Sokolovsky, who is not a stranger to Audience First, and I have TJ Gonen. So, Dmitry, tell me, who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it? I am the CISO and the CSO at Avid Technology. That's my daytime job. Uh, corporate security is a CISO, product security as the CSO. And on the weekends and nights and the mornings and whenever, I'm also the principal advisor and uh, lead instructor for Audience First. There you go. TJ, oh, right why? back at you. Hold on. Oh, why? Oh, why why yeah. I do it? Because the world needs it. Because the world needs it. We need to save everyone. And this is what I go to sleep with every night. That thought. I love it. TJ, right back at you. Who are you? What are you doing? Why the hell do you do it? So TJ, I'm uh, the Vice President for Cloud Security at Checkpoint, so I run the Cloud Security business at Checkpoint. And uh, I do a lot of other things in my spare time, but mostly kids, wife, and uh, I do what I do because I like building stuff and solving problems. Way less uh, important, it sounded, your stuff sounded way more important, Dimitri. Like, uh, no but, way, uh, I can't do it without you. I mean, this is, we need people that build it and so that we can use it for protection. Right. That's the only That's way it works. True. That's true. So TJ, tell me a little bit about your role. What keeps you up at night? So, so the cloud security business at Checkpoint, actually Checkpoint started um, dealing with cloud security quite a few years ago, five, six years ago, obviously, as uh, cloud started to get momentum. Bunch of acquisitions, as you would expect from companies in the cybersecurity space. Actually, that's how I found myself at Checkpoint. Checkpoint acquired my company in the cloud security space a few years ago. And a year ago, we decided that it's important enough and big enough to actually build a business unit around it. So we took the business as a whole, sales, product, marketing, engineering, and put it under a PNL and a business unit. So that's how it's run right now at Checkpoint. And I run and I run that business. What keeps me up at night 
I mean, beyond the usual, as you would expect, like meeting business objectives, which is obviously very important as part of our day job, is I think keeping up, just generally speaking, keeping up. I, I would say if, if anything, if I had to summarize, generally speaking, what keeps me up at night is keeping up. And I think for Dimitri, it's probably just the same. And cloud security and cloud, just generally, the speed, the pace has, I, I, we call it the 100 times problem. Everything is just 100 times bigger, 100 times faster, 100 times more spread around. So that's what keeps me up on that. Just finding better ways, more efficient ways to keep up with the pace of change. That's the number one uh, hard thing on my agenda. Dima, does that resonate with you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is exactly what I just talked about, that we need people like TJ to do this 24-7 because I can't. Uh, CISO cannot even try to keep up with everything. We, we barely touch the very, very tops of the keep up. Uh, we need the vendors to do that initial uh, digestion of technology. And so it's, it's always like this, right? There's a science that, that, that really, really, really beginning of some new innovation, but it has to become real before we on the business side can start deploying it to make our companies uh, more secure. So while I, I, I had to f fight myself um, and to, to, to get rid of this uh, a FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. C continuous oh wow there's this new thing came out what do i know and i need to spend like three days reading it into it and then i realized that in those three days i have 600 emails in my inbox that i haven't touched well that's a problem right so well i can't i guess i can't do that and so i have to had to really like wean myself off of the, off of this i i can't so instead what i do is this is i, I had this problem with the with my procurement team they're like why do you have so many pocs and povs well but that's how i learn I get a vendor to come in and distill what they've spent a week or a month or a year going through into hopefully something that's business ready, valuable to me to deploy. And so I try to pick up as much as I can technically, you know, the, from those presentations. But that's a big part of why we do it because we need to learn as well. And people at TJ help us. Yeah. I want to kind of go down this rabbit hole that's not necessarily part of our talking track here that we prepare as for usual, prior to the call shocker. as usual. But TJ, you said that you're, what keeps you up is keeping up and keeping up with the fast pace and the, and the, the pace of change. Yeah. What are kind of some systematic ways that you prepare for that or, you know, keep up um, right. or, you know, reach those, you know, kind of bridge those gaps in order to help those folks like Dimitri, uh, the buyers keep up? So I think... The biggest thing for us that worked, and I can tell you, like we've done tons of, I personally did tons of experiments trying to keep up and I have the 50 rule, which means 50% of them fail at least. And then the 50% that were successful or at least semi-successful all lead up to one thing that you need to try to try. I mean, you, you might fail, predict two to three years from now and try to figure out how do you work backwards. So I call this, so, so again, not, not trademark, but I use it all the time. I call it one, three, two. One is where we are, three is where we, are, we think we're going to go, and two is how we get there. And you find out that most of us during our life, we do one, two, three. And then three is just a bunch of twos. It's a random bunch of twos when you do one, two, three. And one, three, two says, okay, I think here's where I am right now. Here's where Dimitri is right now in his journey to the cloud. For example, in my world today, it's to the cloud. But what does that mean? He's going to adopt stuff. He's going to start with lift and shift. Then he's going to go cloud native. Then he's going to, his developers, he's going to give power to these developers. 
And trust me, they're going to go apeshit and they're going to go all over the place. And the barbarians are going to go to be at the gate. White walkers with dragons, like fly fires all over the place. Dimitri is going to lose his power to say no very, very soon, by the way. He's going to lose if he didn't lose it already. And then he's going to deal there with like 100,000 different things happening in the air. And he's, he's going to have visibility problems he never had anyway. So I'm trying to describe sort of the landing spot. And then how do you work backwards to understand that tree is an aspiration? There's no one that's going to give Dimitri tree today because by definition, tree is in X for now. So, and then what are the tools together? So I think the only way to actually keep up is to understand that you can't fully keep up, <laughs> right? And to, to have a sort of where do you think it's going to land, work backwards and have milestones that are, and I think, Dimitri, I really uh, connect to what you said around running a billion POVs in order to, to understand what's going on and what actually drives value. Not just has a technology as a thing, so similar, like almost the reverse of what Dimitri is doing with POVs. What can we do as a series of tools? So value is driven, you learn, and you get to, the, to a tree. And unfortunately, once you get to a tree, you need to get to another tree. <laughs> another yeah, you, tree. It, right, exactly. As soon as you're, as you're closing in on a three, you already have to be doing the next one three. You, you, yeah. Now it's three is a one. Exactly, a tree becomes a one. It's a, it's a cycle, right? A tree becomes a one. I just but learned I something, by the way. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because I think most of the with life, right? I try to say this to my kids all the time and I have uh, older kids now. So what do you work? Just visualize the landing spot. And then what are the series of actions? Because otherwise, literally, a tree is just a bunch of twos. And that's most of people around us. You look at it, three is just a bunch of twos, random bunch of twos. Anyway, so that's that's one, one three, two. I'm going to use it in the next class. One, three, two, I, I was going to say, I feel like you have. I'm sorry. A license for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, that's a, so uh, what, what TG is talking about is, is strategic planning. That's what that is, right? You have to visualize the end goal and then build it backwards. Amazon. So AWS, Amazon has that term, build it backwards. Right, so they're built like, okay, this is where we want to be. Okay, how do we get from there to here? And very many people including most CISOs, have very hard time strategically planning because it's so difficult to step outside of the one and step outside right. of the immediate two to to think of where the three is going to be. Uh, and that's very, very difficult. And that's, again, what, what the vendors can help us with. We are in ones trying to get to twos, and the vendor is there with a bunch of threes that we might choose from to get to. In many ways, the vendors are like the science fiction of the 60s and the 50s where you know they were coming up with the you know the flip phones it was right, first right. in a science fiction and then it made it into into real world the isaac asimov i actually think dimitri and, and danny that i find out because i've been thinking one three two four i don't know what 15 years now it's funny but you're right that theoretically you would like your immediate guess would be that people have a hard time sitting down and defining three i find a lot of people even trying about having a hard time figuring out one like trying to uh, like give an honest, unbiased, realistic opinion of where I am right now, what's working and not working. You know, Amazon, you talked about Amazon, so I love it. By the way, for everyone listening to the to this show, working backwards, the Amazon book that you were referring to, brilliant. So there's another method in the AWS Amazon work, which they call start, stop, continue, right? Beginning of every year, start, stop, continue. What should we start new, fresh? What should we stop doing? What should we continue doing? of what we're doing right now. Similar thing, that's the one. 
start, stop, continue. And it's people have, I do this in, with my team in, uh, in my business unit. I'm telling you, it's so hard for people <laughs> to even like say out loud what sucks right now. Like, or what's working or what's not working. It's even one is hard. Forget three, right? One is hard. I know. Right. <laughs> I'm stealing one more. Start, stop, continue. That's a new one. Yeah. Um, TJ said that everyone, well, many people have a hard time defining the one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because, TJ, it's actually people don't operate in the one. People most of the time are in a zero. Zero is right right the immediate circle around yourself right so uh one requires you to pause from doing the zero and actually look where you're standing you have that's a conscious effort that that many people i mean in in most places most cases your uh the way you see what you're doing and where you're feeling is not the same as you making a conscious effort to assess what is it that you are where you are and what you're doing so uh, that alone is difficult in any environment, any situation. If you're operating a complex business, a lot of technology based on a lot of different connections, et cetera, et cetera, all that running on-prem, the old school way was very complex. And that was very difficult to get a one, right? You're in that zero, very difficult to even stop, look at a one, never mind, think of a two and a three. Of course, the cloud comes along and was like, wow, it's amazing. It's going to make it so much easier. I'm sorry, what is it going to make easier? Is it going to make it easier on a zero? Well, for sure, it's only another 500 different things that we're going to have to deal with. Okay, so I guess it's not making the zero much easier. Okay, well, about the one? Well, there's now 1,500 other things and places you can run things, and, and they're mostly turned on by default. So you can totally like completely ignore it and get five ones with a, where you only think of one one. Okay, I guess that's not making it easier either. But by then, again, to TJ's point, we got a bunch of developers running blindly into the cloud and by the time you get any idea on the on your own zero and a one they're already building a two and a three what is going on where are you people come back like it's way too late like why i gotta and of course the aws's of the world didn't make it easier because again everything is turned on by default if you're running a subscription and you you know us east is what you think 13 others are turned turned on by default you don't even know your germany's online you don't even know your germany by default had uh, any any open and then th- those were the beginning days and s three buckets were just turned on and public to the internet no one knew that and no one was told that no no one even knew to ask speaking of one and a zero even if you know that you stop and start looking you couldn't tell i'm not sure if tj is from the company that i think and i'm thinking of but back in the day about the same time as checkpoint started the cloud uh, uh journey uh they bought a company called Dome 9. I don't know if you, is that, is that where you're from? No, I'm from uh, the next acquisition after Dome 9, but Dome 9 okay, is part so of me. Oh, yeah, okay, so yeah. you're right. So they were uh, in their really early startup stages and oh, they yeah. were doing a POC for us uh, when I was at Cyber. Oh, really? Yeah, and so, and, I, and, I, and th- what they gave me in the first run was that alone. They gave me the 12 or whatever subscriptions we had turned on that we didn't know about, meaning the locations were turned on in other, lo- in other places. And in fact, one of them had a minor mining station operating on it that, that someone started up w- without us knowing. There was a small trickle of use and we're like, where is that? There's no one in Germany. Why, why, why are we losing? Why is money going there? We started looking, there's like mi- micro micro machines uh, and that blew my mind. And then Dome 9 showed me this visualization of you know, this is my 
resource right. pool. And through this weird chain of connections, it's facing outside. Clarity. We call it clarity, that. right? So <laughs> cloud brings with, with it what clouds normally bring with them. Fog, uh, a lot of stuff happening, not much understanding, cold, you know, everyone is weird, just mood dropping, right? Like that's the cloud. Yeah. But so that's makes it that makes it more difficult. It mm -hmm. makes it more difficult to understand my one, to understand my zero. And rolling this back to the risk, uh, you know, where our job is, I keep, ma I keep making fun of it, it was it's not cybersecurity, it's cyber, they call it now cyber, cyber resilience, right? Or cyber, uh, something like cyber res resilience or complexity management or risk management. Uh, that's really the only way to quantify uh, what's stopping the business or what can slow down the business or what can negatively impact the business in achieving its goals anywhere in anything. And so of course, business thinks cloud is the way to save money and, and do things better. Great. But right from the beginning, it becomes more expensive and more risky. And uh, IBM study, the DBIR from Verizon, they're all pointed the same thing. In the first two, three years of your cloud migration, you are more risk. You are in more risk, a lot more risk, simply because of more of everything and less control, less understanding, more uncertainty, more complexity, higher risk. And so cloud is amazing. It can be good if it's done correctly, but right from the beginning, it creates a, a lot of a lot of headaches, and we just we just have to we have to get used to this and know what we're doing. And TJ and companies like Checkpoint concentrating their efforts in that space is one of the best tools we have to improve in the situation. We can't do it ourselves. Yeah. So TJ, take me, take me, take me through some of that. Uh, I'm sorry, all you you wanted to add add on. Some yeah, I was just going to say for just to. Uh, by the way, Dimitri loved the poetry with clouds and uh, do gloomy and stuff. I never used that before. I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage of it. I think what we as security professionals sometimes find it hard to uh, sort of absorb the notion is that the cloud was not designed for us. This is not for us. It was. By definition, designed for developers by AWS, a hundred percent. That's how they build their business. They, everything is for the builders, the developers, and it was designed for them. And not only for them, the real value of the cloud. And I actually just read an article today about companies migrating off cloud to on-prem for data analytics because it's just way too expensive in the cloud. It's not even it's not uh, cost saving on dollars compute. It's speed. It was designed. Everything by definition was so developers can develop more stuff faster. That's what it was. Now, by definition, for us security people, once you say develop more stuff, deploy more stuff faster, someone is looking for his uh, heart pacer, right? Like, because he's gonna he's gonna get a heart attack. So it's almost like the antichrist of security. Everything that's happening in the cloud. And Amazon launched last year, I think, thirteen hundred new services. Thirteen. That's that's a scale of a problem. We as security professionals never had to deal with the on-prem world. And, never had even close to that, right? And AWS goes and says, "Okay, we got everything covered. You can codify everything and control it." Well, that's yeah. great. If I put the if I put the semicolon in the wrong place in my in my IAM policy, instead of closing yeah. everything, I am allowing everything. You're allowing everything, and the developer goes. And I think we have some sort of a cynical view as security professionals of the developers. It's not. 
Like, you know, they just go like, and I use this term barbarians a lot, but there's barbarians at the gate because it's, it's, I mean, it's true, but it's not like they don't care. Their job is to move fast and the cloud allows them to move fast. And we, by definition, lose that control, which we had on-prem just because things had so much friction. And there's zero friction in the, in the cloud to, like, to your point, like you, you want to deploy something, you deploy a data center with two scripts. You, you use 500 new services in one script, right? Like you so you're just up in the air. So anyway, so I think for us as security professionals, one thing is to embrace that the old world is gone. Like we, that, I sat with a customer uh, last week and, and literally she said to me, it's very interesting. She said, man, I, I, I miss the time developers needed me to open a port to, 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 to open something for them, to close something for, they don't need, they just go and they enable everything with a script and they just go at it, right? So that, that time has gone. We, we have to adapt to new ways and to your point around DOM9 and, and visibility and observability and tools. We need to understand that whatever tool we develop has to allow them to move faster because if we, if we slow them down, they're just going to go around. There's no, no way to slow down. That's, that's done. I can imagine though that with that speed, to your point, there is complexity. Right. Is it safe to say that there are some security professionals that are moving away from the cloud because of that, and because of the risk that they're that that's posed from the cloud? I mean, I'll, I'll be interested to hear what Dimitri says in his uh, you know circles, but I I think that battle is lost. I don't think you can stop anyone from unless you are super super like you know the big financial organizations with compliance. I see slower movement. But even then, all of them have plans within X years to be totally out of the data center business. I don't think you can slow anyone. I, I think that, there is that's just, yeah, There's just too much value in moving to the cloud. Now, you know, the speed, elasticity, uh, flexibility, ability to spool up and spool down on a, on a dime, all those things are massively important. Geo geopolitical resiliency. I mean, there's just, you can go on and on. So. No, I don't think that's what's what's going to happen. I think that, um, and this is where we go back again to the problem of the naming of the industry, cybersecurity and security in general. It, uh, when when we say it like that, it makes it sound like we are trying to secure an insecure way of someone doing something, which technically is the case, right? Like this is what we're this is why we're having the problems we're having because. The only way to secure is to lock down and lockdown inevitably is a loss of functionality, loss of speed, loss of a lot of different things. And so again, not surprisingly, everyone is against it and we are the roadblock and, and so on and so on. Right. So that's not, but that's all we had. If we start looking at the same cloud deployments and the way the developers do things, the reason why things are insecure when they're finished is because they are not clean enough, too complex, too many connections, too much attempted, not enough described and documented. That's not a security problem, but we are attempting to solve it with a security solution. And that's why we continuously run into the, the headbutting between the barbarians and the and the Romans, right? It's the it's the we're trying. We're trying to to uh, uh, to to nail this uh, this nail with a with a tank, 
that's not it's not it's not they weren't designed for this uh, and again this is where both the security personnel and the vendors are starting to work together on and this is again this is what we're seeing the seismic shift to paraphrase someone yesterday on linkedin the seismic shift in the industry is happening um Equifax uh, CISO, uh, Jamil, I think is, I forgot his, his full name, but he was the one that, that, that mentioned it, seismic shift. Uh, we are moving away from let's lock it down to let's simplify it. Let's explain it, understand it, and make it better, cheaper, simpler. We are trying to reduce complexity. We're trying to reduce uncertainty. And in the cloud, it's actually a lot easier to accomplish a lot more flexibility to simplify um a lot way a lot more ways to massively descope something without losing a lot of functionality those 1300 services aws rolls out it's not because there's 1300 new completely new thing new ways of doing things no those are just slightly more uh, adjusted shifted uh moved around turned whatever services designed to do something specific simpler better faster right and so if we can marry that into the day-to-day -day of the barbarians and the developers they'll do it because it's actually better this is what the what developers are always good at and then i found it avid when you put when you put the problem in front of them they're good people they will want to fix it they they are trying as soon as they realize that something can be done better or simpler they will do it in fact they will chase you to get it done and so then i come back to we've been doing it all wrong from the beginning instead of trying to understand what they're doing trying to simplify their tool set trying to simplify their capabilities we are in fact making them more complex with the security controls and everything else we're placing on top of them um so no i don't see shifting away from the cloud I'm starting to see a lot more codification of things, which allows for standardization, allows for easier testing, and so on and so on, leading to what I hope is the utopian world of not needing a security team. Because security, in my mind, is when the business is able to do what it wants to do, nothing but what it wants to do, and can verify at any given time that's the only thing that is happening, what the business wants to do. I think it's interesting, you know, Dima, the, there's uh, the real problem is, and I, I think this uh, developer versus security people, to the way that you just described it, we need to understand that, and I think you outlined it this perfectly, but just to oversimplify this, as long as we make it harder to do the right thing, people will do the wrong thing. I like to give this example. We grew up in Israel, right? And I don't know, I mean, Danny, you're young, but can tell you I'm old enough to have pirated every freaking movie on the planet, right? Emu, Gator, and Napster. Pirated the shit out of everything, right? You know when I stopped? When it became easier to do the right thing. When it became... It was cheaper to just get Netflix or AWS. Exactly. Became easier to do the right thing. Once we, a secure, our job, and this is, I agree with you, Dima, 100%. Like, our job is to make it easier for them to do the right thing. Talk their language, integrate with their tool, automate stuff. So I, I'll give an example in a second, which you referred to before as far as I am identities as an example. And But if we make it easier to do the right thing, they do the right thing. 
As long as we put roadblocks, make it complex, send them all sorts of remediation action. By, you're giving this example, right? Oh, you deployed this two months ago? By the way, it's misconfigured and you have four vulnerabilities. How about you deploy this again? Dude, I deployed this two months ago. I don't even remember what I did yesterday. Now you want me to go back, find my problem, retest it and deploy it again. I hate you. Screw you. <laughs> Never talking right? So... For example, one of the things we did at my company, which is now part of my platform, of our platform, CloudGuard, is that we implemented IAM uh, creation. So we did it for serverless functions, for serverless functions and containers. Basically, we gave you the idea which you would give us your code, your serverless uh, code, your Lambda code, right? And we would automatically generate a list privilege IAM role. Think about it like a vending machine for list privilege IAM role. As a developer, all you need to do is give the code, boom, you get on the other side, a list privilege IAM role that the Lambda only gets permission to do what its code allows it to do. Boom. A developer says, dude, that's much easier than you bugging me with, hey, you, you are over permissive and I need to fix stuff. So you made it simpler. People use it. Same thing. If we keep it simpler, people with other, if you, if you want people to stop pirate, pirating stuff, you have to give them tools to do it easier the right way. That's the only way for the future. I agree. We are way too complex and, and post-fact and a lot of other stuff. By, by the way, what TGG is di- what just talked about, that would be if you didn't have this feature in your tool, audience-first advisory would tell you to have a feature like this because this way you <laughs> can get rid of the security team. You don't need a security team anymore. I can't. I, every vendor I talk to, I basically say, hey, how can I get you in touch with my business directly. Can you just like tell them that something is wrong? I don't want to know. Right. Tell them what's wrong and tell them what you want to do to fix it. I don't want to be part of it. Nope, don't just, don't care. Yeah. You know, it's a good conversation when you guys just naturally cover all the talking points and I don't have to interject <laughs> at all. I love it. You're doing my job for me. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> TJ, are there any questions or, or that you need answers to from Dimitri to kind of make your job easier or do your job better? Yeah, I think well, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch, but I don't want to take like 10 hours. I think, Dimitri, how do you look at this? Uh, when you, I can tell you afterwards how I looked at this internally from uh, as a tool vendor or as a solution provider, how I look at this. But bridging this gap between your developers and, and you guys are a software company, so you have like an army of barbarians, right? How do you, what, what changed in your approach to solving this bridge, building this bridge between the security team and the developers, in definitely in the context of cloud. Let's say if I would ask you the same question three years ago, what you were doing and what you're doing now. Did your philosophy change? Did the tool set change? Did the approach change? Are you now more in collaboration? You're one big happy family? Or you're, what's going on today versus three years ago? Um, I would say there are two major changes between what I thought was the way to do it three, four years ago and what I think, still don't know, like I'm not even going to call it no, but think is the right way to do it today. So first, and this one I uh, stole directly from BSIM. So BSIM is, uh, they are a, uh, it's a it's a, a framework on secure development lifecycle, uh, but it is it's uh, started by Synopsys, a another vendor, and yeah. they there is an open source uh, variant called SAM, uh, Software Assurance Maturity Model. It's a 
prescriptive methodology from beginning to end of the whole security development lifecycle covering all the components. They both talk about it slightly differently, but both are referring to what BSIM says, uh, calls satellites. So there is the product security team, the, the, the actual primary core team, and uh, they both, again, provide some ratios to how many of those people should you have comparing to the number of developers you have. So like a rough starting number is one uh, product security person to 100 developers, plus minus. If you're really well-funded, you could be one to 50 for, let's say, maybe even something like that. But what they also say is that, you know, let's say you have 500 developers, so it makes it five-people team, but that's not enough. Five to 500, that's still a lot. So what they're saying is that in addition to the core, you have to have satellites. Satellites are otherwise known as champions or right. uh, yeah. your points of code, whatever you want to call them. But they are developers who show an affinity to security things. Let's call it, let's put a just description of, you know, if they ask the question, if they show any interest, you tag them, you give them a badge and you say, that's it. You have, I deputize you. You're now a satellite. You're now an official or unofficial uh, security person. And now I have 20 some satellites. We call them product security owners. They're provided by the business. We ask the business to, to give mm -hmm. us the, these people that would represent their units with us. And so we have a bi-weekly, a weekly meeting with them and us. And they are the people to whom we go with questions and concerns and so on. And it's now becoming a collaborative, uh, collaborative yes. effort. Uh, right. So core satellites and only then the team. And now the team has conversations internally with the satellite being the focal point for the conversation, not us. So instead of it being a security versus development conversation, it's now a developer with developer conversation about how to do, how to make things better, easier, faster. So that's a, that's one thing that <clears throat> started the let's call it the the positive shift. Uh, and the second was measurement, right? We have to be able like first first to give people authority or responsibility. Hey, you know, business, you're responsible. We're not going to be responsible for security of the product. You are responsible for security of product, but that doesn't have any weight unless you can back it up with some measurement and, and to actually specify how secure your product is. And we started doing that. We started measuring and we started to provide the measurements to the, um, to the business. And we did it in a number of ways using, the, again, the SAM or the BSIM, the assessment mechanisms, a self-assessment. And then there are uh, su subjective, subjective ways that we then quantified uh, and, you know, like how well are you following secure development lifecycle? Uh, what's the rate of, of change? There's a number of different things. Did you get sponsorship from uh, engineering leadership to do that measurement? Like how did so you... TJ uh, is going, going in the right place. Of course, the problem there is that once we, security team, introduces measurements, everyone on the development side says again, well, why, why, you know, this isn't like, what, what do I do with that? And... This is where the, the support has to come in from the, from the leadership, from the management. And I thought of the, the standard way of getting that support is to try and change their mind, trying to show them the et cetera, et cetera. And I thought that we don't have that kind of time. So instead, I started simply reporting it to the board. Oh, there you go. 
without, without asking anyone. So I just told them, I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to report it to the board. And I don't have to say anything else because all I'm saying is, look, these are the numbers I see and we're going to report them to the board. This is the date. And now we're starting to get work together. Partic yeah. Participation. Hey, what, what, what's, the, what's the number there? Well, what's yeah. causing it? Why is this number lower than that? And, and what I realized is that attention by someone whose opinion matters is the way to get it done. Now, whether you can do it through your actual management of the team, and we have, we have a number of uh, high-level development in, uh, executives and, and managers that do care and are participating, but it, we need everyone. And the way, the way to summarize it together and, and tie this, this is the super important part, tie it to the business objectives, revenue, protection of revenue, smart spending, and compliance, that can only be done at the board and E-team level. Right. And so the reporting of that, right? You build your support pool, you try and push the culture change up, but at the same time, show the uh, accountability from the, from, from the top down. So report the results and push the culture change from the bottom through the satellites. Those two things right. together, I think, uh, had yeah. the biggest the biggest impact. Yeah, I like the concept of the satellites, and I think that that's the right way. I can tell you, like, interestingly enough, like for us as a again as a vendor, one of the things that we figured out quite fast, I want to say two three years ago, is that we don't talk the language of developers. Like, we just don't talk the language. We and I'll give you another term that I use internally, and I'll tell you what, how we we tackled it. Most security companies build security tools that they think developers can use, right? Like all these sonotypes, all this stuff, like it's security people building tools for developers. We figured out when I, when I took over, I said, dude, we know nothing about these people. Like this is a different animal. They're wearing flip-flops. They have buggy shirts. They never take a shower. I, I do not understand these people. I don't know about the shower, but flip-flops 100%. But bottom line is that we said we need people who know how to build development tools that do security, not security tools for developers. And we acquired a company a year ago, a bit more than a year ago, because we said, I don't know how to build these tools. I just don't know how to build this bridge. The tools that work with your satellite and people can actually monitor and talk their language inside their flow. We don't we just don't understand these people. So a, a year ago, we went... And you know, there's always like internal fight. No, what do you mean we don't know? Of course we know, but we built this. We didn't, dude, you don't know. People, you're building that. Show me a demo. And you know how it is? Let me show you a dashboard. A dashboard to a developer. Congratulations. He's going to throw up all over. That's the, the end of your sale. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so anyway, so we acquired a company that built literally something that I, as a security person, I, do, I wouldn't know even how to turn this thing on. Like it's all CLIs and integrates into their IDs and does everything in their language. It does security, but it looks like a developer too. So anyway, I think your point about bridges and from a tools perspective, it's the same thing. I think one of these things is to understand that we don't understand, right? We just don't understand. We need to do that's your That's your zero and a one. Exactly. Zero. This is, you're right. Yeah. It's to do that stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. So I think. So do you actually, in this uh, process of building these satellites and having these bi-weekly meetings, are there part of your tooling and process definition also? 
Like, so when you guys go into a project of, let's say, securing the supply chain, the software supply chain or code security, choosing processes or developing something yourself or buying a tool, are they part of that decision process? So there are a multi-part answer here. Uh, first, uh, we, we, we looked at five different startups over the last like three months looking for a solution that would allow us to get the, a picture of the whole development life cycle and the right. security uh, issues with, through that uh, cycle. And every single tool I had my team, my product security team, assess together with the, with the satellites. And not a single one of them came back as useful. They all said, well, it's cute what they're doing, but it's not right. at all like what we do. So this is exactly right. echoing what you said. Yeah. And, and, that, and it, that echoed my experience, again, from Cyborg days and now with every startup that I deal with. Product management may know a lot about theoretical security and knows nothing about real life, practical security, real life, whether it's you know, corporate enterprise security, the infrastructure components, or development flow. The products developed looked nice. They have cute, cute dashboards and really right. cool flows and, and charts and colors. Beautiful. And not at all matching the reality of day-to-day -day developer life. That's, that's like, it's nailing. It's like, what, what, am I, what am I supposed to do with this? None of this, this doesn't help me. I mean, if I make every one of my developers do this instead of what they do, maybe, maybe, we can right, succeed right. if they get used to it, blah, blah. But that's not that's not what's happening. Um, I think the and gap, by the way, Dima, is, is when, when you talk with, and you write about product managers, because they don't have operationalizing, they don't have operational experience, right? And I, I yep. talk with that my product managers all the time. How do you operationalize this? Stop building products or dashboards. How do you people operationalize this? Understand the process. Like the first conversation with someone like yourself or your team would be, okay, tell me how does your day look like? Once you find an and alert, no, what yeah, do you do? Yeah, no, yeah, no how do you operationalize no, this? <laughs> no one asks this, right? And, and so, no one asks uh, this. Oh, no yeah. Because they all have a tool to sell, really cool, awesome looking tool. The technology is amazing. This is great. We're going to do this, yada, yada. And that's not accounting for what I have for people or what I have for process. And for me, building unit for sec program starts at the top. What are the personnel resources I have and how good are they and do they have any gaps? Do I have any processes to cover a particular gap? And this is what I tell my, when my team goes, all right, we're going to go look for a tool. I go, wait a second. Before you go look for a tool, assume that you have a thousand people on your team. Right. Just let's assume for a second. And now... I'm telling you, you can't buy any tools, but you can use a spreadsheet. So you have a thousand people in a spreadsheet. How would you go about solving this problem manually? Exactly. And they're like, no, we do this, we do this. So like, okay, great. So now imagine you have, you solve this problem manually. You got a process that involves 300 people. What tool would you bring to make it 30 right. people instead of 300 or 10 right. people instead of 300 or five or 201? And then you can go look for a tool. When you have people doing the process, if you don't have people, then why do we need a tool? I have no um, one doing this right now. Who's going to use this tool? No, okay, so not, okay. So if we have the people but no process, the tool is a crutch that's actually in more, more cases will cause damage, long-term long damage to the two or the three that you're planning 
because right. it makes you do things incorrectly. It it helps you do the wrong thing better, better, faster. If the tool starts with, let me help you build a process that you will then use me for, that's a tool I look for. And again, today, most vendors don't understand that. We have to well, teach them that you can start with a process. Yeah. It's a, it's, and when it comes to the developer lifecycle, it's even worse, right? Because security people don't even understand. You talked about product managers. A typical security product manager has no clue what a developer goes through in his lifecycle. Despite his having developers doing their work within the product themselves. No one looks at their own developers right. and says, hey, right. would, this, would this work? Shocking. Yes, it's very interesting. So I think one of the things, by the way, that uh, we, we are looking and we're doing from a product perspective, I think it might be helpful also from your end as a process, as a thought process, we call it objective-based product. So don't show me the features. What is the flow, almost like the user story of the objective you're trying to achieve? So for example, if your objective is to your point with the developers is to reduce from 80 vulnerabilities to 40, right? So the objective is minimizing by 50%. So the three is for the product. Think about the product slash process that the objective is my starting point. Give me the one. Okay, my starting point is 100. Objective is 50. Now give me the tools to get to a 50, right? Even one, three, two from a product perspective. Walk me through. What does it take from a process perspective? Right. You have to have the conversation. And half the time, it's the process that's missing. You may already right. have necessary resources and tools even to do the work. What's missing is the process. A and the times. a lot of vendors will come in and say, well, we got a tool for you instead. Well, I already have a tool and it already sucks. Or I don't have a tool. Yeah. I have people doing it and it sucks. And so you want me to bring additional complexity to what already sucks to make it better? It's, you know, to, to the point about the tools, it's uh, sometimes these tools, you mentioned them, that they make it worse. They even make you feel worse. What good does I do, do I get from looking at a tool that says, hey, by the way, Dima, <laughs> you have like 10,000 things that are broken. Dude, that's totally depressing. Like, it doesn't help me. I'm that doesn't help me. 100%. Why, why? It's like my inbox in email. Danny knows it by now. I don't read emails because 99% of them are crap. I can just, I gave up. So it's like most of the times it's like that. So I think part of the challenge, by the way, for us as vendors, for you as, uh, you know, like practitioners is, okay, don't tell me about 10,000. Tell me about, I know that there's 10,000. Tell me the 10 me that and his original risk management. Tell me the 10 that really, really matter. Let me solve six out of 10. Dude, I feel good. 60% out of what's important. I know it's 6% of everything you know, but I don't care because I can't solve 2,000. Give me the 10. Tell me how to fix it. Help me automate the process. Help me understand the process that I have right now, integrating my people, speak their language if they're developers. If I solve six, this is what the industry is totally missing, is that solving the six out of 10 important things is actually amazing. Letting me know that there's a thousand things that are broken is actually just depresses the hell out of me. It doesn't help me at all. So, so I'll take what you just said and add to it that six of 10, the most important ones, all that based on what is important to me and my business. The business, of course. Right, but, right, but most products I know today don't ask what's important to the business. 
Yeah, yeah. They, they tell me these are the criticals. These are the ma these are the 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 app. You know, like this is critical, high, medium, and low. Right, well, why are these ten lot. critical? Well, it's because it's the critical vulnerability. Yeah, but they are for in my test environment. I couldn't care less about it. But these two mediums over here are in the environment that's making me four million dollars. That's more valuable, more important to me. But you didn't know that because you didn't ask me any questions. You're I love by this. Way, you, should, you should definitely, by the way, separately, I should tell you what, what you're building. Because literally, what you're saying is like a product definition. And you're so right. Part of When we started building now uh, what we call ERM, Effective Risk Management, we said, okay, I get it. It's very easy to say if it's open to the internet and it has vulnerabilities and it has a lot of permissions to do harm, theoretically, it's more important than something that's not exposed to the internet and doesn't have vulnerabilities. But if it sits in test, it doesn't matter. Who cares, right? Or I care way less. Con so we added, important. we added the questionnaire. We added the questionnaire that you can map out crown jewels and stuff like that because you're right. And I think that to your point, people think technology. They don't think process, environment, and context, right? What is my personalized context? And then even, I'll tell you even more than that. What? Don't tell me about stuff you know I can't remediate right now. doesn't matter. Give me compensating controls. Don't give me a remediation action I, I can take because it just frustrates me. I'm just give frustrated. Me options. Give me options. By the way, D Danny, yeah. I, I don't know. If TJ is not asking for a workshop, I don't know what he's doing right now, but that's exactly where, <laughs> this is exactly what all This isn't the, the, word, the, okay, Danny cut this out because it's not part of the, the contract. <laughs> side note, well, shameless side plug. Note. Do a workshop. Shameless plug, do a workshop. It wasn't well, because, no, what, anyway. it wasn't my radar anyway, so we should. No, but what you do, what you just described is like you come to a CISO and you say, hey, is this useful? And the CISO says, like, I, I mean, last week I got a dashboard, I got a da dashboard demo. Oh, we have, you know, f 40 criticals and this is what you should do. And I go, let's take a look. So I get a list of S3 buckets that are open to the public. The, the two, uh, the two at the top with criticals called test one and test two. The three on the bottom that are mediums or highs, prod one, prod two, prod three. And they, the bottom three have one one high each. Yes. And then the top two have like four criticals each. And they're like, okay, so, you know, click him. Like, wait, wait, wait. Why would I care? What would he mean? It has four criticals. So yeah, but test. that's test. I know. I'd like, you, I mean, can't you tell just by the name? It's test. Prod is more important. Pull it to the top. Why do I care about test? Like, you have right. to know this right. stuff. And then, and then like, there's a pause. I guess what you say makes sense. Okay, fine. <laughs> like, 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 really? You think? That's very true. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Yeah. It, it's funny how people's mind is so wired in a, such a linear way. Right. It's a, it's, yeah. you know, there's like in the in database technology, there's graph technology versus linear. Yes. People's mind yes. is linear, right? It's just you, linear. You, you know that saying, right? The, the good guys operate in lists, the bad guys operate in graphs. And while that stays true, the bad guys will always win. I love it. No, I didn't know it, but I, I like it. That's, yeah. I mean, that's the reality, right? The you use blood, bloodhound like as an attacker, and as a and as a as a defender, you get a list of priorities, and you start from the right, top and right. you go to the bottom. There is no like visual. It. This is the important one. I like it. Yeah, I love it. Oi. Well, Dima, TJ, this has been. All, I mean, we could go on for for hours if I didn't have a hard stop right now, but. Um, is there anything else you want to impart in the audience today, given the conversation that we just had? TJ or me? Both of you. TJ, you go first. 
Um, yeah, I think, I think actually, by the way, this was fun, a fun discussion. I definitely uh, enjoyed it totally. There's, I think the, the most important thing that uh, we can take out of this is maybe a couple of things. Actually, I, would say. I would say one, go hug a developer, like find a developer next to you, give him a big ass hug and say, and make man, sure they took I a shower this. before you hug him. Just make sure it takes a shower. That is a very valid point. See, that's thinking of a CISO, right? Taking all the risk management. <laughs> so, but give him a big hug and say, dude, you know what? I'm sorry. You know what? I don't get you. I don't understand you. I want to understand more about what your life looks like when I put something in. Tell me what does that feel like, right? Do something in, in psychology, they call imago when you go to therapy, right? They call imago, which is listening to the other side. Do some imago with a developer. That would be my gift to the audience here at uh, Audience First. <laughs> I, I would add one more thing. I So Avid is, we got a bunch of developers, but that's, that's, not, that's not the main point. The main point is that Avid is a company that makes tools, both software and hardware for creators, yep. creative people. And... Yep. Until I joined Avid, I didn't understand what that meant. What What is a creative person? And then I saw some creative people and I'm like, wow, these are developers, except they're developing within oh, a I different understand. medium, right? They're developing in, in music or in video. And I realized that a developer is not a regular techie. In fact, it's not a techie at all. Developer uh, is a creator. It's a creative person. And creative yeah. people, if, if you put any constraints on a creative person, you will kill the creativity. Exactly. And yeah. that's why you have them for this creativity. And just like with creative people in music and video, they will go bend over backwards. They will solder wire on top of chicken coos or whatever you want to do. They'll do whatever you ask just so you can create in peace. I love it. Now, if that means all other stuff doesn't talk about it, but that's on us. But it's on us to right. remember that we are not, we're not, we're not uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, defend the barbarians. I mean, uh, defend against the barbarians or or stop right. anything. Right. We have to keep remembering that we are are solo. The only job we have is is to allow these creative, incredibly creative people that are very, yeah. very weird creative people create. And it doesn't need. We don't need to understand them. We we may not be able to understand them. We have to understand. We have to try and listen and hear them all the time, yep. and try to simplify their lives, right. oftentimes at the expense of ours, to make sure that they can do their thing still to create. I, I love the analogy to uh, creative uh, media. Yeah, I love it. The the essence of audience first. I love it. There you go. Boom. There you go. People over profits. There you go. <laughs> TJ Dima, this has been an absolute pleasure. Both of you are always invited to the show. Uh, I mean, we have, you both are advocates, so I'm, I'm <laughs> stoked. Uh, this has been another episode of Audience First. Thanks for joining. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.